0: brands uh, in the last uh, few decades have kind of embraced this archetypal thinking uh, as a way to think about their brand identity. Are we a hero brand? Are we a lover brand? Are we a caregiver brand? So they're not um, unfamiliar with the idea of using archetypes as a way to tease out um, brand values, brand meaning, brand perception. Um, and I started to think about this from a sonic perspective. Um, are there ways in which, you know, we we know that that music has an impact on our emotions and our physiology. I wondered if music might actually have an impact on our perception of meaning.
1: Welcome to Audio Branding, the hidden gem of marketing. I'm your host Jody Krangle, and this podcast will discuss just how sound influences our behavior. I generally talk about this in the context of advertising and marketing, but there are other places this is important too. I really feel that it plays a much more important role in our lives than maybe we realize. So let's delve a little deeper. This is the second part of my interview with Steve Keller. Well, speaking of academia, I know you've also done a white paper on understanding how sound can affect the healthcare industry. So... Can you talk a little bit about that and where maybe that's heading?
0: Yes, sure. So um, that particular paper that you're talking about um, was published this past October um, in the Journal of Music and Medicine, Uh, and it's a piece of research that I did with Charles Spence from Oxford. And what we did was um, basically a, a, a pretty thorough literature review looking at the impact of music, soundscapes, and noise um, on the healthcare vertical. Mm -hmm. And more specifically, um, the potential impact on um, uh, patient experience. So what we argued in the paper was there's um, a plethora of research that shows the power of music and soundscapes um, to impact um, health outcomes. Uh, and and really uh, help treatment at all kinds of different uh levels within the healthcare system. Uh we also kind of discussed the impact of noise and um the, you know the, the negative impacts of that.
1: Well, I know it affects even the doctors and nurses that are in the same environment, so
0: Certainly. I mean one of the things that we talked about was uh you know the use of music in the operating theater, if you will. Um you know and positive benefits, but also some, some cautionary tales uh, around that. But the, uh, what to me was a little interesting about the paper was a pivot that we, we took where we couched this um, in the context of the experience economy, if you will. And we, we talk about that a lot now. We're, we're brands. Um, you know, the, the differentiator isn't just the product itself. It's the consumer experience of that product. And as healthcare um, and hospitality, if you will, intersect, uh, there's a lot more emphasis on the patient experience or the consumer experience, if you will. Mm -hmm. And so we looked at um, the impact of music, soundscapes, and noise, not just on um, health-related outcomes, but also on the patient experience, patient satisfaction, and how that can play into a financial bottom line from a marketing perspective.
1: Well, if clients are happier, I guess they get more funding, right? Exactly.
0: Yeah. <laughs> and and, and that, was, that was the way we closed the paper. You know, we were saying, look, there's enough evidence um, to say you should be exploring the power of sound as part of the healthcare process just from the positive effects on patient outcomes. Mm-hmm. But we're smart enough to know but they're also CFOs and CROs and marketers.
1: And it has to do with money. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. And so
0: this is an argument for that particular part of the C-suite mm-hmm. to say, you know, look, the outcome should be should be enough to say we should be looking at this and using it more. But let's just draw the line straight to revenue. And so that the impact of this on the patient experience um, draws into that. As well. So here's a secondary argument to get you to begin thinking more about the environment, about alarm fatigue, about the way that sound is impacting uh, the health caregivers as well as those who are receiving the health care. Um, and uh, you, you know we, we tied it in even to things we, we spoke a little bit earlier about sound and taste. Mm-hmm. But you think about nutrition in a healthcare environment. You're a diabetic. If we need to cut sweetness out, could we come up with a playlist that might put that sweetness back into your flavor perception um, and and give you a more pleasant relationship there to to your eating experience? But we've also found that, um, uh, things around uh, volume and cross-modal congruency um, with food can have an impact on how much people eat. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so if you need to create cr- increase the caloric intake, what are some things you can do sonically to, to have an impact there? Or even on choices of food, because there's been some research around um, healthy choices in food that um, are tied to Specific kinds of soundscapes or or playlist choices. So uh, again, these are these are areas that um, we're just beginning to to scratch the surface, but beginning to realize that we can have uh, a huge, huge impact on behavior. Thinking about it from a sonic perspective.
1: Sure. Um, we had talked about psychophysics. Is that what this kind of thing is, or is that? Is that completely different?
0: (laughs) No, no, it's 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 all tied together. Okay, Um, as it should be. (laughs) So psychophysics, yeah, psychophysics is is basically a a branch of psychology, if you will, uh, that takes a look at how our perception of reality um, is a combination of sensory input. Okay. So what we see, what we taste, what we hear, what we touch. Um, what we smell, all of those things are combined uh, in a way that helps us interpret the world around us. Mm -hmm. So psychophysics is the study of how this works. And cross-modalism, which is, you know, again, kind of a a, a different, uh, even deeper branch of psychophysics, uh, again, looks at how our modalities or our sense modalities um, can be crossed. Uh, And so, you know, how can... Um, what we see impact what we hear. How can what we hear impact what we see or our perception of smell or even texture? Uh, so I focus more on looking at things through the lens of sound um, and how we can use sound to um, you know, affect our other senses, whether it be what we taste or what we see or what we touch. Um, mm-hmm. And that's, you know, again, from a psychology standpoint, uh Kind of leads to another area of emphasis for me, which is around archetypes.
1: Ah, uh, yes, and I was going to ask you about that as well because I know that there are archetypes in story, but are there the same archetypes in sound?
0: Yeah, and that's that's the question. Um, and and you know the 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 arc of the, my own journey around archetypes is that uh, you know again drawing back on my interest in psychology, uh, one of the Psychologists that um, I really enjoyed um, researching in you know my early days of study was was Carl Jung, um, who noticed in mythologies around the world it didn't matter about the culture it didn't matter um, historically in time when these stories developed there are very um, similar themes uh, and characters uh, in the narrative. Uh, and so he began to, to catalog these, you know, the, the jester, the hero, the rebel, rebel the caregiver, the lover um, into these archetypes that he called them, these, these symbols. Mm-hmm. And so um, brands uh, in the last uh, few decades have kind of embraced this archetypal thinking uh, as a way to think about their brand identity. Are we a hero brand? Are we a lover brand? Are we a caregiver brand? So they're not um, unfamiliar with the idea of using archetypes as a way to tease out um, brand values, brand meaning, brand perception. Um, and I started to think about this from a sonic perspective. Um, are there ways in which, you know, we, we know that, that music has an impact on our emotions and our physiology. I wondered if music might actually have an impact on our perception of meaning um, and how we're interpreting a particular narrative.
1: And is that the same across all cultures? I mean, because, you know, oh, right. different places it, in, yeah, exactly. in the,
0: the world. I, I mean, there's there's been a lot of interesting research, um, particularly of late, uh, in the, the universality of, of music. And there's mm-hmm. there's a lot of of interesting debate um, within the small circles around you know, is it accurate to call music a universal language? Um, you know, most of the scientific community would say no. That's, that's kind of a, a misnomer. But what, what we have found is that there are similarities where um, we could play pieces of music from cultures that you and I are not a part of, that might use a language that's totally unfamiliar to you and I, but we could perceive... The particular piece of music we're listening to as being um, that's around dance, or that's around lullaby, or that's around love, and or even
1: just the emotion that it induces.
0: Yes, so so there are these kind of universal um, emotional experiences, and again, I want to be careful to say that um, you know there are differences. So this isn't a an, an, an across the the board, um, you know, what's sad in one culture sounds exactly. Sad in another, but sure. Um, it, it's much more consistent than than language. Um, you know, when we're dealing with with words or text or even brand names, we're often thinking about well, what happens when we translate that name into another language? Does it does it carry another level of meaning that maybe we're not aware of as a native speaker?
1: So maybe it's easier as a brand to use audio to exactly. be more perceived across exactly. a broad spectrum of places. Yeah, right.
0: because when I hear anywhere in the world
1: yeah I know, you know that's what it
0: is McDonald's you know yeah. I don't, I don't <laughs> have to see the the, the text or even the, the the golden arches so when we think about you know these these archetypes um, and I started thinking about how to to apply this in helping brands build sonic profiles and again we're used to talking about language so very often you know as a as a composer or even as a voice talent, um, you get briefs where you need to sound happy, you need to sound playful, you should sound confident, you know, what, whatever these these emotional adjectives are that we use. And yet without a context, um, that might be interpreted in a lot of different ways. Mm-hmm. And so what archetypes do is they give us a context because happy to a lover could sound very different than happy to a jester. Or happy to a ruler.
1: Yeah, I know, for instance, that when I'm given a piece of music to speak to as a voice talent, it's a lot easier for me to figure out where I need to go as far as emotion is concerned. Sure.
0: Yeah, because you're drawing on the cues from 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 that musical narrative, if you will. Exactly. Yeah, so it so helps. Yeah, and so in cinema, you know, we, we use this all the time. I mean, there, there are certain places that we go, certain sound you know, b- the building blocks of sound like tempo or pitch or timbre or harmony or dissonance or major or minor keys that we draw on to, you know, in- in- introduce the villain, you know, or to introduce the hero or to introduce the the lover. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I wanted to do some-, some research. You know, I get to a point where, uh, you know, I-, I call myself an audio alchemist because it's always this balance between sound science and sound art and blending these things together. And so I got to a point where I was seeing the benefits, but then the scientist in me was taking over and saying, well, you know, I mean, is this what, what is, does this really exist? Mm-hmm. So we, we did a piece of, of research where we went to uh, composers, um, we gave them uh, a series of narratives that were kind of built around different archetypal characters, and then we asked them questions Um, Kind of tied to these building blocks of tempo, of rhythm, of uh, pitch, of harmony, of modality, um, and ask them, you know, how much of this versus that would they use? Kind of the sonic ingredients to build the lover cake or the hero cake or the sage cake. Okay. Then we looked for correlations. So that was the first piece. So you know, as we were doing that piece of the research, you know, I'm thinking, okay, I'm either going to find out now whether this is brilliance or BS. Uh, (laughs) I don't often know. Um, And and so uh, what we found was we saw some clusteries, some clustering, some correlations around the particular archetypes we were looking for that suggested that this group of um, composers from a variety of backgrounds. Um, we're, we're drawing from the same well. And we weren't asking why, you know, Is it because this is something kind of internal and innate uh, that's part of our evolution? Or is it just that Western cinema, cinema uh, has so pervaded our perceptions musically that that's what's happening? So we didn't look at the why. We just wanted to see if it existed. Uh, and so then the second step in the experiment was, I worked with um, a company, License Lab, uh, that I've used uh, to draw a lot from for for licensing. They gave us access to their entire library. We wanted to use pieces of music that people wouldn't be familiar with, didn't have words, so there weren't semiotic language cues, um, and used algorithms that were based on uh, these decisions that the composers were made to kind of analyze these pieces of music based on tempo, rhythm, modality, pitch, the things that we looked at, and let the algorithm choose. Mm -hmm. What was um, the lover? uh, What was the sage? What was the jester? Um, Those were the three that we were looking at um, specifically. And then uh, after those choices were made, we played those for a general population of listeners. And what we found was that the listeners had similar areas of of correlation. So the idea is composers, wherever they're drawing from, they draw from this and can encode this information into a piece of music. And a listener can then decode that information. And so kind of bringing all this heady science more to a practical <laughs> point, when mm-hmm. we think about brands, you know, how are brands using music and sound? To create a narrative that's congruent with whatever the archetypal perception is of the brand. Uh, And we took this a step further um, and took a piece of um, advertising, a television commercial, uh, and changed the uh, piece of music, the soundtrack underneath that commercial. And so one of the pieces, um, you know. Drew from the research that this is more of a jester piece of music. Here's a piece that's more uh, hero. Here's a piece that's more lover. Here's a piece that's more rebel. Uh, And then we went into a lab um, and we used software to look at eye tracking, where people were looking uh, as they were watching the commercial, Mm -hmm. and then uh, heart rate um, and brainwave activity to look at arousal. Um, to look at um, cognitive load, how hard their brain was was working, um, and uh, also looking at um, appeal as another metric. And what we found uh, was simply by changing the soundtrack, we could change where people were looking, what their focus was, um, their state of arousal, how hard their brain was working. And we found that Cross modally or or archety- archetypally congruent tracks tended to have the brain working less hard. It just made sense because it was kind of fitting with with the archetype. Yeah. yeah. Um. And uh. And was much more appealing. So again, we're moving beyond just emotion. And when brands understand, they're not just telling an emotional story, but they're creating a narrative um, that is having an impact on how the consumer is interpreting the story. So it just gives more credence to the fact that we need to be much more intentional in our choices.
1: Yeah, definitely. (laughs) It's really fascinating research. So is that what you've been working on now, or was that previous? Well, the
0: the archetypal piece um, is still ongoing. In fact, that particular uh, piece of research Uh, Is in academic review, so we're working on a few um, revisions um, to get that through uh, the the reviewer piece of this, and hopefully, um, you know, to see it published uh, in the months ahead. Uh, But uh, there is some ongoing research um, that we're doing uh, here um, at Pandora, and I think the the realities are again we're just scratching the surface with this Mm -hmm. Um, prior to our piece of research, which I did with um, Goldsmiths University uh, out of London. Uh, Christian Wong was a student there that I was working with, and Daniel Muhlenziefen heads up the um, Music, Mind, and Brain program at Goldsmiths. Uh, And what we found in our literature review was that while there was a lot of anecdotal evidence, and that certainly, you know, not uh, an unfamiliar idea to think that there might be a relationship between archetypes and and musical narratives. Um, there had never been any really empirical research, uh, so this is groundbreaking in that sense. Mm-hmm. You know, then the the, the bigger questions are, uh, you know, if, if this is indeed happening, if we can repeat these re- results, um, why is it happening, or you know, when we start looking at different cultures, you know, because most of the individuals in our sample um, were probably more from a, a Western mindset. If we look at an Eastern mindset, do we, do we see similarities? Are they true archetypes in a Jungian sense? Um, so there's, there's that piece of it. And, uh, you know, my, my hope is that maybe we could tease enough of this out that we could get to a point where Algorithmically, um, we can analyze a piece of music and say, here are the archetypes that are present. And if I wanted to put a, a, a playlist together that taps into the hero archetype, um, here's what I can do. If I want to tap into the lover archetype, here's what I can do. Or if I want to have a hero lover, um, here's what I can do. Yeah. Uh, so, so those are the future pieces.
1: Okay, so I'm curious now as to where you think this is all headed in the general sense of audio branding. Um, Just like, what do you think the future of this could be?
0: Well, I I think the future goes back to this idea of um, just becoming more intentional with our choices around sound uh, and making more educated choices. And I'm quick to say that you know, while a lot of what we've talked about has really been about the, the science of sound, there is an art there. Definitely, yeah. Uh, and, and you know, I come from that background myself as an artist, as a composer, as a, as a creator, and I understand the tension that can exist there. And I think sometimes we think of science and art as two opposite ends of a spectrum as opposed to two sides of the same coin. Mm-hmm. Um, and so while as an artist, you know, I might like to believe in a mystical concept of a muse that I'm somehow channeling, and I just become a vessel through which this flows. Um, you know, to me, it's no less magical to think that there is a way that our brains work and that we perceive the world, and if I can understand, um, how to connect those dots, that there's an outcome that seems just as transcendent. And so I think ultimately where this is is headed is is for brands to understand, you know, first and foremost, that sound moves us and that piece they already get. There's not a, a, a question around that. But sure. more than moving us, um, there's a meaning um, that comes from those choices. Uh, but then also, you know, accepting the fact um, that there's a value perception gap that exists, because even though we understand and believe in the and give I know, what I call intellectual assent to the power of sound, we don't treat it as if it's all that important. Mm-hmm. A very small part of our budgets in marketing and advertising are dedicated to it. Certainly, we've you know done the work to develop these brand books that have very thorough visual style guides and and copy. And we talk about tone of voice, and we don't talk about that sonically. It usually is a you know the tone quote unquote that we're adapting in our in our copy. But we need to take that same kind of energy and devotion to um, our visual branding and apply that to sonic branding as well. So we need to kind of close this value perception gap of understanding and believing the power of sound, but really in our behavior towards it, treating it as if it's not that important, Um, thinking about it at the very end of the process than at the beginning. Um, and, uh, you know, I would wrap all of this up by saying, um, that what we really need to turn our attention to is, you know, how are we making these choices and how are we measuring the outcomes? So with a lot of our clients, I talk about these, I call them the, the three pillars, if you will, of, um, return on sonic investment. Mm -hmm. And one is engagement. That's how we're used to using sound all the time. How are we Capturing somebody's attention, sure. Um, you know, how are we creating a, an emotional connection? Um, an engagement for me has to be tied to a behavioral outcome. Um, otherwise, it's really a meaningless metric. We we talk about engagement a lot in marketing, and yet there's there's no motivation or behavior that comes on the other end of that. And so we. We we measure things that aren't really that useful. So we should be thinking about what's a behavioral outcome for sound, and then what's our key performance indicator around that, and how are we measuring that? So that's the first pillar. The second pillar is identity. So not only can we you know influence behavior, we can influence perception. So how are we using sound to build into a long-term identity for the brand, mm-hmm. into a recognition, into – you know, whatever the, the perception of the brand values and meaning um, and attributes are. So what's our KPI around perception and how are we measuring that? And then the final um, pillar is is management. So if we begin thinking about sound in terms of not just how it's engaging our audience and behaviors around that and not just in terms of how it's driving um, perception uh, and measuring the outcomes around that, but now how are we managing essentially a sonic system that we're building and how are we measuring equity there? And I'm talking not just about long-term brand equity, how are we building brand linkage, how are we having an impact on uh, purchase intent or willingness to pay um, or or brand attribution, but also realizing that very many of these audio assets that we create um, are quite literally intangible assets. And I'm talking about copyrights. Mm-hmm. And if brands begin to understand the value of a copyright, um, which gets lost in work for hire language, when they, when they realize they have an intangible asset they can collateralize and that can generate revenue, there's another way they can see returns. And I think that does two things. I think it helps the brand understand um, you know, the value of music and sound from an IP perspective. But I think it also helps us talk about value and fair payment, if you will, to the content creators. Sure. And and what's the cost, not simply for creating an asset, but for acquiring a copyright that over time, if it's managed correctly, will simply increase in value. So, So if brands are looking at identity, perception, equity, if they have KPIs and are measuring outcomes here, it will... Have a snowball effect all the way back to the point of asking questions about why are we choosing this piece of music, why are we choosing this voiceover, and how is it going to impact behavior, perception, and brand equity? Um, and you know, to me, that's that's the ultimate frontier um, where we're not as as buttoned up in those three areas as we need to be.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, my mind is blown. <laughs>
0: Yeah, well, I know. I mean, talking to me is like trying to get a drink out of a fire hydrant. I, I get going and I just babble on as it's the brook. All... And at some point it's like, where's, where's the valve? How do I turn this off?
1: It's all Stop. great. It's Cognitive all great. Cognitive overload. <laughs> I'm loving it. Um, but I would really love for people to be able to know how to find out more information about what you're doing. So uh, any links or uh, social media places you want to share?
0: Uh, sure. Uh, I mean, they can find out more about um, Studio Resonate by mm-hmm. simply going to studioresonate.com mm-hmm. um, and uh, that will tell them more about Studio Resonate. And certainly they can find um, you know, other links uh, there to Pandora for Brands and, and Pandora in general. So on that side, they can see that. Um, you can easily um, look me up on LinkedIn, follow me there. Uh, if you'd like to follow me on Twitter, uh that's uh audio alchemist underscore so the underscore is very important so it's at audio alchemist and then add a add an underscore at the end of that um and then if you know if if you want to google just uh you know google steve keller sonic branding audio alchemy whatever you'll you'll come across a TEDx talk a yeah, TEDx talk that yeah. I <laughs> I did and, and a few other things so i'm 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 easily searchable and uh you know, particularly interested in um, unique uh, uh, research um, and application that's being done out there, uh, and because I, I'm learning all the time. I'm I'm a student at heart, uh, and I'm I'm also fairly much an, an open book because I do think by sharing knowledge that's how we we grow, and I feel like I'm entering a phase of my life and career where what I want to do is inspire um, younger people uh, who are interested in this to, uh, to dig deeper, to pick up with the knowledge that we have now, but to push the envelope and go even further than I could ever dream of going.
1: That's great. Yeah. Thank you so much for talking with me. Well, that's the end of this episode. Thanks for listening. And if you like what you heard, please take a moment to give the podcast a review. It's greatly appreciated and super helpful. Until next time.